In the remote German countryside of 1922, a shocking and grisly crime was committed at a small farmstead known as Hinterkaffeck. Six people were brutally murdered, leaving behind a trail of mystery and speculation that has lingered for over a century. Join us as we delve into the chilling and strange details of the Hinterkaffeck murders, from the strange events leading up to the killings to the eerie aftermath. We'll explore the many theories and speculations and suspects surrounding this enigmatic case. Tonight on Newsworthy, two words and two question marks. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks why should you work with ed lock A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Edlock at area code 502-680-0953. NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Happy Wednesday, Mr. Jerry. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm good, man. I got some bad news to report tonight. Surely Jerry. not. Well, it, it it's bad news that comes out of a good effort. Good effort? Well, that, that's a good start anyway. Yeah. Well, Brett is not with us tonight because he took his kids to the zoo. He did. The problem is you can't be as hairy and smelly as Brett. And not expect to get caught and put into the enclosure in the monkey the monkey room. Uh-huh. So currently, there's a legal battle between his wife and the zoo on, on on who has rights and can control them. Oh, Hopefully, they'll have it resolved by next week. Brett, we enjoyed having you here, bud. Yeah, um, hope you enjoy eating bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you are so cold when uh, one of us has to miss. Ah, well, you know, it's what we do. (laughs) 
a sad job, but someone's got to do it, right? Somebody's got to do it. And you are willing to step up to the plate. You know, answer the call. You know, it's it it's rough, but somebody does, in fact, have to do it. There I, you go. I don't I don't know how to be nice. <laughs> Speaking of being being rough, did I tell you about my neighbor? No, he gave birth to triplets last week. <laughs> that's, what? That's rough. Holy smokes! Yeah. She named them Eeny, Meenie, Miney, and Steve. Really, Steve? That was a good name. She didn't want no more. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can understand it. Hard choice. Well, I, I can understand a lot of things. You know, I just quit my job driving the concrete truck last week. Really? Why is that? Well, my job just kept getting harder and harder. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Yeah. I, like I was concrete in my decision, though. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, then. Going to double down on that one. Rock solid. Triple down. <laughs> I got you. I like that, that one. That one's for you, Ray. Just so you know, buddy. Keep pouring that concrete. I got this friend, let me tell you. And, you know, I, I got lots of friends, but I used to work with Ray. Ray works 80 hours a week, doesn't sweat, doesn't cry, doesn't whine about it. He works hard. He when he's not driving a concrete truck, he's driving a dump truck, scraping snow in whatever weather, whatever time. Drives to Georgia all the time just to get more hours. And uh, he it's just he he's a machine. Good for him. <laughs> you know I, I I I've always just been in awe of how hard and how long he works and never complains about it. And he's always there. You need a and. Here's the thing. If if I called him right now and said, hey, Ray, can you come help me with whatever? He's on the way. You know, so. <laughs> friend to have. Yeah, he's good people. So that one was for Ray. <laughs> Kudos to Ray. Yeah. Man, we got a cool topic. I say cool. That's probably not the, the best. Interesting. You know, we, we in, in our catchphrase, if you will, it's called... We say the macabre, the mysterious, and the out of this world. Well, it doesn't get a whole lot more macabre than what we're going to talk about tonight. Very true. Um, very true. Interesting. Not cool. Very, very interesting. interesting. Very. <sighs> it's got a little bit of everything. It, it really does. And, and the weird thing is. I don't know that it would be a whole lot different in today's world. I mean, you'd have some different evidence maybe, but the whole way that the process happened with some of the interference with the crime scene, and if all that happened, if apples are apples then and now, I don't know that we have a... a, a, Solved. If it's solved today. And this happened in the 20s. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, the technology in today's world makes it incredibly difficult for criminals. Oh, yeah. There are cameras everywhere. Everywhere. There is so much um, forensic science has evolved to the point that if you leave a trace of DNA, if you leave a trace of, of extremely small partial fingerprint, 
you, uh, you're going to be caught. An eyelash. The DNA doesn't even matter. Yes, and <laughs> any DNA, and you're probably done for. It doesn't matter if your DNA is on record because if anyone in your extended family, if any of them has ever had their DNA on record, they're going to be able to track close to you. Yeah. And once they get close, they're probably going to be able to get you. Yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. It is. It really is. So it's become really hard to get away with crimes, which makes it even more crazy when you stop and think about what D.B. Cooper did. Now, right. it wasn't you know like it happened yesterday, but tonight's event happened in 1922. D.B. Yeah. Cooper was well after that. Yeah, still unsolved. And and this is when we when we get into the details of tonight. The fact that it was unsolved and, you know, all parties that could have been a part of it have, have since passed. And somebody went to their, uh, their, grave. their grave having murdered, brutally so, five Several people, six, five, six people. Um, five family in the main. With zero remorse. <laughs> and we know, we'll, we'll get into how we know they had zero remorse uh, a little bit into the story, but just to say that they hung out with those people for a few days before they decided to flee the scene tells you they had no remorse. They didn't care about it at all. Yeah. Um, and another thing is, uh, no, I don't want to say that. That That's getting too far ahead. Yeah. I'll save that one for a little bit and mention it when we get to it. So, yeah, pretty great. I, I think we've kind of wetted their whistle a little bit. Yeah. At least tell them what it's about. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Hinterkaifeck murders and yes. uh, that happened in Germany. Six people brutally murdered. Um, no suspect. Well, plenty of suspects. Tons of suspects. No, no, Terrible no one, no one, no one convicted. No one convicted. No justice. No one charged. Served. I don't think several arrests, but they were all let mm-hmm. go. I didn't read of anyone being charged and ever mm-hmm. going, going to, to trial. No, never enough evidence to go to trial. So yeah, the Hinterkaifeck. If if you've not heard of this, and blew me away because I we we always talk after our show about what we're going to cover the next week, and last week uh, took us a couple of days to come up with a topic, and I brought it up, and Terry's like, hmm. And a little while later, he's like, oh, that sounds great. He'd never heard of it. Never heard of it. And it, that blew me away. Of course, we were just talking before we came on on the air about how we watch different shows and how, like, Jerry is, um, he likes the uh, America's Got Talent, those bit. type shows. I and, don't like it early on. A lot of the yeah. early performers are crappy. But I was, I asked Steve, it all come up because um, I mentioned Sir Tom Jones. He didn't know who that was. He turns out he knew Tom Jones, but not that he was served, that he'd been knighted. He mentioned that he never watched The Voice or any of those shows, any of them, American yeah. Idol, any of them. I, I'm with you early on. Several of the people early on are not very good. But by the time you get to the final 16, you, it's good talent. And you're watching people that we've never heard of. Yeah, You're watching brand new talent that, that is good, that at that point they're probably going to get uh, contracts, if not 16, the final eight, yeah. um, usually end up with record contracts. And you hear about them in several cases for years and years. You know, Carrie Underwood, right. Kelly Clarkson, you know, those guys started. I really like Kelly Clarkson. Not Carrie Underwood? Uh, well, <laughs> funny story about her, but okay. um, I, I don't Good dislike tell. her. She always, she always, feel. I feel like she's always yelling at me. 
So I don't need that. I got enough of that in my life. Um, no, I had a dream one one time that yeah, Tim McGraw and, and uh, Faith Hill set me up with Carrie Underwood, oh, okay. and we we ended up getting married. It was nice dreams. <laughs> it's one of those dreams you don't forget. But um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. I was only bringing that up because I and he had said, "Well, who who the heck wants to watch documentaries?" And that would be me. I I watch documentaries for fun, and not um, just documentaries. You're into the whole. If you think about the the theme of newsworthy, the macabre, the out of this world, the yeah, UFOs, that's, the that's conspiracy inside theories, my brain. All of that. <laughs> that's the stuff you would watch, no matter how crazy, how far fetched the conspiracy theory. And with me, I'm the opposite. I'd be like, no, I don't have time for that crap. Can you imagine? So I have to isolate for a week in like three weeks. Um, we're going to have to do a pre-recorded show one week. But uh, I, as part of a, a part as part of my last thing for to get rid of this cancer, I have to take a really high dose of radiation and. Uh, I can't be around my dogs, can't be around people, so I have to isolate basically upstairs in my house for a week. Um, and I'm going. I'm not a sit arounder person. <laughs> so for, that week. for an entire week, I'm going to be binging all of the uh, most mysterious, macabre, and out of this world. Uh, and Sir Tom Jones. No, I, I could care less about Sir Tom Jones. I would care more about learning about the theory of flat Earth than Tom Jones. And Especially I do after not. What we read. I do not. not believe, right, and, and I don't even care to say it. Tom Jones had a son in America, uh, and for nine years didn't even care to meet his son. Fought it for no, nine no. years, and then when, decided after he went to court while he was on tour, he had a an affair with a model. She was pregnant. She said, this is the only guy I've been with. She took him to court. They did DNA testing. Uh, it turned out it was his son. For nine years, he refused to admit that that was even the case. Nine years later, when he did admit it, said that he had zero interest in meeting his son. So, yeah. I had uh, previously thought Sir Tom Jones was a pretty decent guy. I now know he is an asshole. Yeah. I, you know, this is coming from two former single fathers. <laughs> so we, we, we not only understand what it's like to have children, we understand what it's like to raise children alone. Mm-hmm. So shame on you, Sir Tom Jones. Yep. <laughs> Anywho, um, but yeah, for that whole week, I can't imagine the week after that. Can you imagine where my brain's going to be? <laughs> you know, sometimes like last week, when we have episodes that we don't have nearly as much information because we found it kind of tough to, to look up and sure. find information. But on those weeks, occasionally, not often, but occasionally we'll be talking ahead of time and we will be like, do we even have enough information to cover for a full show? We never have a problem. Do you know why? Why? We started our story on the Hinterkaifeck murders. We got into it. And 10 minutes ago, we got off on a tangent with Sir Tom Jones, <laughs> and we haven't made it back to our theme. You're right. So back to Hinterkaifeck. Sorry, that was my fault. No. For that. 
Well, no, you, you just bring it up, and that just angers me. If if you're a dude and you have a child, you— If you're man enough to have a child, be man enough to be a father. Absolutely. Not just a father, yeah. to be a dad. I think yep. there's a huge distinction I between being—anybody can father a child. Very true. Not everybody can be a dad. You should be a dad. Or is willing to. Or is willing to. Exactly. Everyone so. should and could. Yeah. But don't refuse to do so. And totally to, agree. To all the people out there that are taking care of other people's kids, congratulations. You a hero. Absolutely. Now, back to Hinterkaifeck, where, in fact, how many of these people that got killed were... Ch- so, this has all the all the things. It has it phantom does. footprints. It has ghosts in the attic. It has men, women, and grandparents dead. It has people. Brutally murdered. It has heads decapitated and being sent off to psychics. It's weird. So tell us about it, Jerry. On the evening of March 31st. Oh, wait. I, no, sorry. Go ahead. I thought I was going to tell it, and then you're going to do this. By all means, you tell it. I thought you, for whatever reason, (laughs) decided to switch, and that's cool. No, 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 no. Back to the original theory. Steve's going to tell us about it, and later on I'll talk about some suspects. Yeah, the suspects are a lot more fun, and and Jerry deserves that, because he's an upstanding fella. So on a Friday night in late March 1922, a German family and their new maid were all murdered at their remote farm. Law enforcement interviewed several suspects in an effort to find the person or people responsible. Um, But as we've already stated, no one was arrested, charged, no justice ever served. Well, were arrested, but Um, they were subsequently let go. More than a century later, no one's ever been charged for the horrific killings that Hunt that occurred at the farm, a small Bavarian homestead called Hunter, Hunter Kaifek. I'll get it right here in a second. Um, the Hunter Kaifeck murders are one of Germany's oldest and most brutal unsolved murders. So let's go back and let's talk a little bit about it. On April 4th, and, and I'm pulling this story from Ranker. Um, you can pull this story up just about anywhere. Um, I like this the way the writer put this story, so props to Ranker for that. On April 4th, 1922, Lauren Schlitzenbauer. I'm sorry, we're gonna we're gonna butcher these names. A bunch of Neither of us are German. Um, noticed his neighbor male snack, stacking up at the farm and rule Hinterkaifeck. Worried something was wrong. Uh, we'll try this again. Schlittenbauer. There we go. I think that's closer. Uh, uh, went up to the house. He recruited the fellow, his favorite. His fellow neighbors, I'm sorry, Jacob Skleel and Michael Pohl, uh, to help investigate it. Finding the home's front door locked, the men headed to the barn where they discovered the bodies of Victoria um, Gabriel, 35. Her daughter, uh, it's it's pronounced Casile, right? Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Maybe. Casilla. Casilla, it's Casilla, is what is the way it's pronounced. Casilla, who is only seven, and Victoria's parents, Andreas Gruber, 64, and Casilla Gruber, 72. Each family member was killed with multiple blows to the head, and the bodies had been stacked on top of each other and covered up by a board and some hay. 
Wanting to investigate the home, the men found the hallway connecting the barn to the main house. Inside, the men found the bodies of the the family's 44-year-old maid, Mary Bumgardner, and Victoria's two-year-old son, Joseph. Both Marie and Joseph had also been bludgeoned to death right in their beds. So, after the murders, <laughs> um, the murders weren't discovered until April 4th. However, police determined that all the family had died somewhere around the evening of Friday, March the 31st. This had been Maria's first day <laughs> working as the family's maid. Her sister later confirmed that everyone was alive when she left. She had visited Marie at the farm that afternoon. The following day, two coffee salesmen had come by the farm, but no one answered the door. However, smoke was seen coming from the chimney, and someone seemingly had fed the family's livestock. A repairman also had arrived at the house on April 4th, but found no one there. The mail piling up in the family, especially Victoria, missing church on Sunday, had uh, and, and Casilla not showing up for school led to the search of the barn, the barn, excuse me, and the eventual discovery of the murders. <laughs> the police investigation, however, was immediately compromised. The closest police department to Hinterkaifeck was in Munich, Germany, 45 miles away. After discovering the, body, the bodies, Schlittenbauer and the other men alerted the families, alerted their families and fellow neighbors about the gruesome murder scene at the family. Hey, y'all, come look at this. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm envisioning. Visualizing. Probably what happened. Um, by the time the lead investigator George. Rain Gruber arrived from Munich. Dozens of people had already walked through the crime scene, destroying evidence and in processing, uh, completely compromising the police investigation. Despite, however, the tampered crime scene and virtually no forensic testing evidence available at the time, uh, police theorized the killer or killers had somewhat, somehow lured all the four family members out to the barn one by one before killing them in return. Gosh, I'm getting ahead of myself. My brain's just going, going, going. They had lured all family members one by one out to the barn and murdered them before returning to the home to kill Maria and Joseph. Autopsies all revealed the likely manner of death. Uh, Johann Baptiste Mueller conducted autopsies on the bill the, the victims of Hunter Kaifek, subsequently determined that they had all died by blunt force trauma to the head, and the weapon was likely a pickaxe or a mattock. Dr. Mueller also noted there were strangulation marks on the older Kazila, or Kazila. As far as younger Kazila, she likely took hours to die trapped beneath the family's bodies. My goodness. Investigators found Casillas holding fistfuls of her own hair, and her head had several bald patches. Dr. Mueller suspected the poor little girl probably died from combinations of her injuries and shock. I what a horrible way to die. What a horrible Trapped, you know, 
six, seven-year-old girl trapped, trapped under your dead parents, three, and dead well, grandparents, dead mother and dead grandparents. Uh, couldn't move. Didn't lay there pulling. Damaged. Your head's been split open. You're still alive. Just terrible, terrible way to die. But it gets worse. It does. Uh, Sadly, it does. There was a series of strange events that happened leading up to these murders. In the months and weeks leading up to the killings, a number of strange events had occurred at Hunter Kaifek. Six months prior, the family's previous maid reportedly quit after hearing footsteps in the attic. She thought the house was haunted, and she couldn't take it anymore. Neighbors also told the police that Andreas had found footprints in the snow that began at the woods in the surrounding farm, or the woods that surrounded the farm, and ended at the barn. However, he could find no footprints leading away from the barn. This revelation led to the theory that the killer hid in the barn and perhaps the attic, which some thought accounted for the footsteps that the previous maid had heard. Andreas had also mentioned that his keys, his house keys, had gone missing and that he had found a newspaper he didn't subscribe to in the home. He, however, declined to borrow a gun from one of his neighbors to protect himself and the family, stating, I'm not scared. Can I interrupt? On another website, I found a little bit more information about the newspaper. The newspaper was the Munich newspaper. Andreas originally thought that the postman had dropped it. Right, he had even asked the post office. He went and asked the postman, did you possibly drop this newspaper? I found this newspaper here on my property. I I don't know where it come from. The postman told him, not only did I not drop it, and I know that because no one on my route subscribes to this paper. I don't deliver this paper to anyone. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. But And this was known ahead of time. He had talked to some of his neighbors. Mm-hmm. I found this newspaper. And the, the footprints, he had told his neighbors, I found a set of footprints in the snow going to my barn. No footprints leaving the area. And, How freaking scary would that be? It, it's insane. And, and to look around the area and not and find someone, and he did. He, because That's what led him, one of his neighbors offering him the gun. Yeah, and on the night, um, well, we'll get into it here in just a second. So, and I'm going to add this, and I'm going to add it because it's a part of the story, but I don't think it's a part of why they were dead. I don't know. I think I know where you're headed. We At this point, we don't know. And we, we just really don't, know. don't know. But as we talked about, this is prior to DNA evidence. This is prior. This could have. So we don't even know if the conviction was. Accurate. Accurate. We don't. So It should be mentioned, I think. Yeah. Andreas, who was 64, had and convicted of. Charged and convicted of. Charged and convicted of having an incestuous relationship with his daughter, Victoria. Seven years before the the murder, um, Victoria and Andreas were accused of incest after someone submitted an anonymous report. Both father father and daughter were put on trial and found guilty. Andreas even had to serve a year in prison. Victoria served either one year and one, and, and, one I'm sorry, or one month. 
or one month, according to the, the yeah they the, the reports differ whether she was there for a year or for a month. Can we talk about that for a minute? Sure, absolutely. First of all, and, and let's explain why we we kind of just take this with a grain. I mean, yeah. you you say incest, but and that's there like was oh, no DNA evidence. But there there's DNA no evidence, evidence of it whatsoever. So at that day and time, if you were new to an area, if you were relatively unknown, or if you were unliked. Which, guess what? This guy was extremely unlucky. He was he very was, volatile. He was very quick. His very his mean, temperature would high temperature. No, to attack <laughs> his people. temper would would flare. Yeah, very fast. So, given all those things, we assume he was probably pretty unpopular fellow. Now, in this day and time, you were convicted on charges such as this, based upon, in many cases, not evidence because they didn't have it. They didn't have DNA evidence. They didn't have cameras inside people's homes in 1922 to record who you were having sex with. They didn't know. They had no evidence. What they had was circumstantial evidence. Or he's or hearsay. Hearsay. I saw or I heard. But from, what are they going to see? You right. Know, who's in the house? <laughs> right. These, these, the evidence wasn't coming from people. The, in the evidence house. in this particular case was that Victoria's son looked, looked like, like his grandfather. Yes. <laughs> If that's Don't the case, it. I think all of us are guilty of a little something yeah. because I look very much like my grandma. <laughs> very scary stuff. The it, fact it that is. someone who didn't like you could bring, let's let's say that, you know, okay, you're, you're the new guy. You're the guy that's unpopular, that's mean. And you got a neighbor who maybe he asked to date your daughter. And that, in this case, it actually happened. She did, Victoria, the 35-year-old widow, had a neighbor that she had a relationship with for a while. Maybe she broke it off with him. Maybe in another case, she told him no to begin with. You piss someone off back in those days, and they start a bad rumor about you, and you could very well end up in prison on trumped-up charges. Yes, yes. And, you know, and this was, like you say, 1922. So so let's talk, uh, let me let me just skip to the, the, the end here. I, I'm going to skip over some of the... Uh, 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 suspects. I'm going to come back. To, we'll circle back around to them. But I do want to talk about after the police got involved, and we're talking about police and and there was no DNA. What they had back then were clairvoyance. <laughs> so after the police got there and the autopsies were done, the doctors and the police had the heads removed of all the victims and they were sent to a clairvoyant, which was um, common practice for a lot of cases, especially when they didn't have any leads. In Munich, 40-something yeah. miles away. Yeah. So after the autopsies had been completed, the court physician <laughs> removed the heads of all six victims, sent them to Munich for further examination. Allegedly, the skulls of the Grubers and their maid were given to the clairvoyants, presumably in an effort to learn more about the perpetrator or perpetrators who committed the massacre. For some reason, the victim's skulls, however, were kept in Munich. Thus, the family, uh, the Gruber family and their maid, Maria Bumgarter, were buried without their heads. <laughs> According to authorities, uh, the skulls went missing following the upheavals caused by World War II, and they were never recovered. Well, I've read another place. They were transferred. The clairvoyants didn't keep them. They were given back to the police. Uh, 
and some police agency wanted to do further testing. Keep in mind, in the 20s, there was a lot of evidence, uh, forensic-type technology that was in the works but hadn't come about yet. So they decided to hang on to them for a little while. That ended up lasting until World War II, at which time the building that the heads were believed to have been stored in was actually bombed. Yeah. And obviously evidence was gone at that point. So some of the things that are creepy and crazy about this. It was it was reported that whatever was going on around the house and around the farm was enough that it had scared the family that the entire family was sleeping on the floor in one room of the house together. Um, it was also noted that at one point they checked the attic and there was no one up there and no signs of anything being different. A different report says that um, people had checked the attic and they found straw in the attic, which people think that someone would have put down to muffle their footsteps. Um, There was also human excrement in a corner and some half-eaten food in one corner. Um, Just weird. And after people had discovered the crime scene, people were just going in and out of the house like before before the police got there. Some people even cooked meals in there. So just further destroying the... And there's dead bodies laying in the bedroom. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, Jerry, but if I ever come to a house where there's dead bodies in the bedroom, the last thing I'm going to do is cook a Hot Pocket. <laughs> Not putting a frozen pizza in the oven. Just, I'm sorry. I'll go. I'll go out to eat that day. <laughs> I agree. So, there over the years have been more than a hundred different suspects. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about some of them, and we'll come back and do some more of the the crime scene as we go. Sure. Uh, before that couple things you'd mentioned that uh, we're pretty sure that the person the murderer stayed in the house for a few days after. and after yeah. and before they left yeah a few of the reasons why apparently the people they bought bread from in town told how much they had bought when they bought it uh, how often they normally came how often the bread lasted the bread should have lasted much longer than Friday night when she was murdered. The Isn't family crazy was how murdered. Back in the day, and that that those people, like the milkman, knew they would know. They, they would, would know. know how much you ate yeah. per week. They would know how long it lasted, and if you ran out, they knew how much bread these people had when it should have lasted. Also, it should have lasted way past Friday. It was yeah. all gone when they got there. Yes. Am, am I in the minority here? First of all, let me just say, I love you scans and 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 scan yourselves at like Walmarts and places. Okay. But don't you think you should get a discount for doing all sure. the work yourself? Absolutely. Anyhow, just throw, I throw that out there. They say the discount you get is less time in line. Yeah. So, in other words, to make you feel that you're getting a discount, let's make the other lines exceptionally long. Right. Then when you do all the work yourself, you'll feel like it's a shorter wait and you'll feel like that's all the reimbursement you need. Last time Brett was here, we was talking about Kmart a little bit and I had some firsthand knowledge of Kmart. Right. 
um, Kmart was one of the first major real retailers that used juice cans and uh, was, a, was a blessing, was way ahead of their time. Um, but anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but you were talking about what made me think of that is how much information the bread guy, the milkman, that these people, they they their whole livelihood was based on your, what you ate or drank. So they knew your habits probably better than you did. Probably. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. Spent a lot more time thinking about it. Yeah. Another thing that let them know that uh, someone was there for a few days, you mentioned once that... Uh, Someone in showing up, the coffee salesman or whoever it was. And there was smoke coming out of the chimney. That happened on different occasions, different days, that neighbors didn't come but did observe the smoke coming out of the chimneys. And Uh, back in the day, even if, and this is early April, so it was probably cool. um, But back in this time period, the smoke coming out of the chimney would have been used for cooking, not just heating, but you would have cooked with that and cleaned with that. And, you know, you would have boiled your water for that. So... Everything there would there would there was a need to always have a fire going, and there was a fire going, and there was a and fire even going. with today's uh stoves, which are really good at uh when you close it down and shut the dampers, are really good at maintaining a fire for several hours. Today's stoves would be lucky, the majority they've got some furnaces that are different, but the majority of the stoves would be lucky to go over 12 hours maintaining a fire when we're talking about. The day after, two days after, three days after, 1922, stoves that could do that did not exist. Someone was there starting a fire again and again. Even if they had coal, and coal tends to last a lot longer than wood, it wouldn't last that long. I thought it was the opposite. I thought coal burned quicker. It's much hotter. Yeah, I think maybe you're right. Maybe it is hotter, but burns quicker. I think coal burns I think you're right. They used to make some huge coal furnaces, which you would bring in. Two or three five-gallon buckets of coal and dump in. Those would probably last longer just due to the amount. No, that was but, not this. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have this. Someone yeah. was at this farm on a daily basis for several days. Yeah. Also, the animals had been fed. The cows right. had been milked. Um, so, yeah, four days later when they show up, these cows had been fed. They'd been milked. So someone was there throughout this process. Isn't that just cre- that? Is. That adds a creep factor to me. It is. I mean, okay, yeah, I just butchered a family of six. Now I'm going to hang out and milk their cow. <laughs> Another thing that has a huge creep factor to me is the fact that, and we'll get into this a little bit more, some of the suspects, but one of the original thoughts was this was a robbery. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't. There no. was a huge amount of money in the house found after the police got there. There was gold. There was jewelry found. If someone was there, if someone came to rob the place, as soon as they, they did a really people, bad job of They would have these. looked through the house. <laughs> they would not have left huge amounts of money. This family was apparently pretty well off. There was a lot of money found. There was gold. There was jewelry left. So, yeah. obviously, robbery is not a motive, which makes it even scarier. Yeah. Just, did someone hate these people? What? what not exactly? only did they hate them enough to kill them, they didn't even care to make it look like a robbery. Not even, you know, in today's world, oh, well, I'll, I'll ruffle it up and I'll, I'll I'll steal some dollars so it looks like a, a sure. vagabond or something. They didn't even care. Like, it wasn't even on the radar. Oh, I'm going to have dinner. <laughs> so, on to the suspects. Yeah, we got... Number one, Carl Gabriel. 
Carl Gabriel was the wit of the husband of the widow Victoria Gabriel. He had reportedly been killed in December of 1914. He was he fought in the First World War, but his body had never been recovered. Now, keep in mind, she had a two-year-old son at home. Jeez, he was reportedly killed in 1914. This happened in 1922. Yeah, obviously, he's not the father of the two-year-old <laughs> child. Right. So after the murders, people begin to theorize. Maybe he had not, in fact, died. Maybe he was sick for a while. Who knows? Maybe, he, you know, for whatever reason, maybe he was prisoner of war. Finally got loose, came home. He discovers, I've been gone for eight years. My wife's got a two-year-old son. Might be a problem. And that that theory, I think, is born out of a report that Victoria had saw a man in army fatigues at the edge of the woods. And when she had tried to approach him, he disappeared in the woods. That was also one of the things. I hadn't read that. Yeah. So crazy, right? Very crazy. <laughs> Very crazy. Now, the people, the neighbors talking, theorizing about what could have happened, was thinking that two possibilities. He's got a two-year-old son. He obviously wasn't the father. He hadn't been there in eight years. Um, as we had mentioned, her father and her, had been convicted in court of an incestuous relationship. The neighbors were kind of torn. Her father is one of the people they think that may very well have been the father of her two-year-old right. child. Obviously, how would you feel if you come home and found that your wife uh, that you left behind while you went off to fight the war had not only had a child, but by her own father? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... It would be easy to theorize if you think that he wasn't dead of why he would go off the handle and decide to kill everyone in the house. Um, but this wasn't that. What do you mean this wasn't that? This, you know, if, if, I, if I'm that person, okay, and, and, I'm, and I'm an investigator, I see that not as a cold and calculated and a methodical way of doing things. I see that more as a rage. Rage. But this kind of was rage. But, These people were beat with an axe in right, the head. Right. But they were lured to the barn. Yeah. But think about it. Didn't the guy sit around for a couple of days or who, a few days? Who, the man makes sense. How do you lure this elderly woman, what was she, 72 years old? 72. How, in early spring, late winter, early spring, how do you lure a 72-year-old woman to a barn? You make without... her husband disappear after going to the barn. But do you not think it's possible that she probably knew this person? Maybe. Otherwise, why is she going out to the barn with a stranger she doesn't know? Maybe. Especially I mean... if the stranger's already come and called her husband to the barn and he doesn't come back. And let's say he gets the second one to go. Then you turn to the 35-year-old mother. Oh, your turn. Come on, follow me to the barn. I, I don't see that happening unless it was someone they knew. Yeah, well. She obviously, the family obviously knew her ex-husband. Not saying it was Not him. saying, well, how about, let's put it on a different way. Sure. You're saying that he, he or they lured them by saying, hey, come check this out in the barn. I think it was someone they knew. Or, really do. or. Dad goes missing. He's going to the barn to check out one of the creepy sounds or the footprints or whatever that had been happening, and he doesn't come back. 
one by one, the people start to go to the barn to look for him. I, I agree with that, pow! except for the seven-year-old girl. Yeah, that's There's true. no way that a 44-year-old maid stays in the house and allows a seven-year-old girl to go to the barn to check on three missing adults. That's true. That's I, true. I don't see that happen. Now, we talked about why Carl Gabriel could be a potential suspect. Keep in mind, he supposedly had been killed in World War I. The body was never recovered and brought back. After this happened in 1922, the investigators went and talked with several of his fellow soldiers, and several of them said that they had witnessed him lying lifeless, that he was, in fact, absolutely 100% dead. Uh, yet, even after that, Carl Gabriel is still one of the names that comes up as a legitimate suspect. Next, that nice neighbor, Lorenz. How did you pronounce it? Schlittenbauer? Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. Yeah. Good enough. Mr. Lorenz I don't think he's going to be around to sue us if no, we got it wrong. But his grandchildren. Yeah. Great-grandchildren are. I hope, I hope we got it right. We are not intentionally massacring any of these names, but as Steve mentioned, we're not German, uh, and I'm certain, sure that we're not doing several of these names justice. Anyway, the neighbor Lorenz Schlittenbauer one of the three neighbors who eventually came and discovered the bodies. Uh, turns out that there's other reasons to suspect him. Number one, he was believed to have had a relationship with Victoria and possibly fathered Joseph, the two-year-old boy. In fact, the initials L.S., Lorenz Schlittenbauer's initials, appears on the birth certificate. For father, it does not have a name. It has L.S. Um, but he both claimed and rejected that he was the father at various times. Now, he came under suspicion by locals pretty early on. There were several things that happened that made them suspicious. Number one, as we mentioned, forensic science wasn't anywhere near what it is today. But even in 1922, they knew that you didn't start moving bodies. Yet, when he went into the barn and they discovered the four bodies that were stacked, he immediately began moving the bodies. Right. Now, his reason that he gave to the police was that I was searching for my son, my two-year-old son. So now he's admitting that yeah. he's the father. But he said that he was searching for him. I, all the rest are here. He's a little two-year-old boy. I figured he's on the bottom. So that almost makes sense, right? You could almost understand yeah. if he was the boy's father and he sees... But he took the time to set the body up. He just, just didn't slide him over. He was like literally setting her up. Well, he was setting who up? I didn't like setting her up. Oh, like, yes, yes. You know, he was leaning he her up against He certainly moved the bodies yeah, a lot, a lot yeah. to the point that there was, you know, the crime scene in the barn had been thoroughly ransacked. Uh, at that point, he then goes into the house by himself. He produces a key and unlocks the door. Now, it's possible, as a next-door neighbor, that he had been given a key. It's possible that as Victoria's lover, she'd given him a key. Mm -hmm. It's also possible, if you remember going back to one of the suspicious things that had happened, is in the few weeks before this incident, Andreas had said that one of the house keys went missing. Right. Well, suddenly here's a neighbor that no one has record of having a key that now has a key, and he goes into the house. Yet now, another 
Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, my next door neighbors, I have a key to their place. You do? One, you have, yeah. One of the neighbors. Yeah. So, you know, just in case. So, Which is a, a good thing. If I you agree. Uh, trust them. Yeah. Now, if your neighbor had had an affair with your daughter <laughs> and had a two-year-old child that they were refusing to pay child support for, which, by the way, it turns out that even though Lorenz at times disavowed that this was, in fact, his son, when you look at the fact that Ellis was on the birth certificate, it turns out that Victoria had taken him to court and won a judgment, and he was being required to pay for child support. Uh, and the fact that he told the police that it was his son, he was the boy's father, yeah. at least in all likelihood. Again, we don't have DNA evidence. But. But what? Here's here's why I don't think he was the guy. Go ahead. He did the, the paper. The, the newspaper. New, the newspaper. Had the neighbor subscribed to that paper, the mail carrier would have known that. True. Smoking gun. But that in that case, you're saying that that rules out every neighbor as a suspect? Isn't it possible that the neighbors didn't subscribe but went to wherever and bought a copy of the paper? Certainly. It certainly is. Including Lorenz Schlittenbauer? Yeah. We don't know. Again, he many of the uh, neighbors thought that he was the murderer. Many of them had publicly accused him. Before his death in 1941, he had conducted and won several several civil claims for slander against people who described him as the murderer. So there obviously was not enough evidence to convict him. Uh, so we went through the ex-husband. We went through the next-door neighbor, the, in all likelihood, the father of the two-year-old. Now, let me ask you this. Sure. A few nights before the murder, Victoria had fled the farm through the forest after violent. We talked about Andreas being a violent individual, and they had had a violent quarrel. She was gone all night, according to her daughter, and came back the next day. Another thing that could lead to Schlitzenbauer, you know. But if that were the case, why would you off Victoria? Well, another thing that we kind of alluded to but didn't mention directly, she had sued him for child support right. and had won. Uh, several neighbors thought this guy apparently had some financial troubles. He had a family of his own and was having a hard enough time. Keep in mind, this is after the uh, Great Depression, which was right. predominantly in the United States, but affected the entire world. The entire world. Times were tough. Uh, it's possible many people thought that he killed her simply so he wouldn't have to pay child support, and also a reason why he would also kill the two-year-old boy, because if he was known to be the father and allowed the boy to live, and they went to live with someone else, he would still be obligated to pay the money. True so fact. if you're going to kill her, if you're going to kill the two-year-old son, I, at that point, I guess you would have to kill the rest of the family just to try to cover it up. Not saying that he did it. Uh, th there's circumstantial evidence. There's nothing more than that. Can you imagine what Let's just say for a second it was Schlitzenbauer. He okay. knows that Joseph is his son. Let's talk about what a mad, a malic, a, a matic is. It is a instrument that looks like a pickaxe on one end and has a flat spade area on the other end. A wide, 
a wide yeah you Two, would three, use you would wide. use this to like do a very a very you would use this to like in a garden situation or to, field or field to to get rid of rocks and to make nice even rows this is a big instrument can you imagine what kind of I just first of all, whatever you're doing to the adults, okay, you're sick, you're you're a sick dude, whatever, sick do that. But to be able to turn that same weapon on two children and just not have any I mean, didn't even how sick do you have to be? How, how mental do you have to be? It just blows me away. And then and I know I've said this a couple of times, but I, it, it leaves me in awe. Not only do you have a, two, a, a small boy that you just use this weapon on in the house, you're going to sit in the kitchen <laughs> for a few days. I mean, decomposition has to start happening. You're, you're sure. going to, I just, it blows me away. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jerry. Keep going. Keep trucking. To stay on your uh, pickaxe-matic tangent for a second, I think it was after my freshman year, in between my freshman and sophomore years, uh, the first day of summer break, I got a break. Dad didn't ask me to do anything. I born and raised on a farm. Second day, vacation was over. Dad took me into a field that we literally called the field behind the barn. That's where it was, the field behind the barn. It was an 8, 10, 12-acre field. He handed me a mattock and told me that my job that summer was to dig out the thistles in that field. (laughs) Now, we had tried. You can't mow them. They just come back up. And if you wait too late until they bloom, you're actually just spreading the seed at that point. Yeah. so what I had to do was to dig them out by the roots. I couldn't just cut them. I had to dig them out by the root. The problem was this field was so overgrown with thistles, you could barely take a step without stepping on one. Jeez. I spent a summer in that field <laughs> with a mattock. I spent an entire summer. Yeah, that was a, it was not a fun summer. It's now, so different today than no how we worked when we were kids. Well, we have so many... You know, now we have Roundup and 14 different right, pesticides right. and herbicides that you go spray it with. You and it I were talking recently. It will. It will absolutely kill them. Um, you don't have to worry about it. The, the problem is, whether it's this weed or most weeds, you can do whatever you want on your farm. Unless your neighbors are doing the same thing, it's not going to take but a few months for their seed to blow back on your farm to at least parts yep. of it. And it pretty quickly, it's all back there. But, uh, yeah, I, along with the herbicides and pesticides, you know, you and I believe that so many of these things are part of the reason that cancer is yeah. going crazy in this world. And there's a reason you things. don't eat that stuff or not yeah. supposed to eat that stuff. But, uh, yeah, and you, you can say that you don't eat it, but when your cattle are grazing and you're milking those cattle for milk and you're killing them and eating the meat. As someone who used to work in southern states, and, and, and that, this, that yeah. was my job. Um, pesticides and herbicides primarily. I would go into fields and help farmers develop a plan to uh, get the, if you have a better pasture, you have, you you can spend less on feed. So it makes sense to have a, to upgrade your pasture. And that would include me coming along in a big truck and spraying pest, you know, herbicide down and getting rid of all the weeds so that the cattle or horses or whatever 
have a better graze. And that is all fine and good. It it goes in uh, tests show that it'll go in the mouth and out, you know, out, and it doesn't affect the cow. If you believe that stuff, I mean, more power to you. I don't see how you eat something and it goes through your digestive tract and you don't absorb some of it. I just, you know, and especially when something like that, here's, 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 here's the, uh, here's the rub. So when they tell you that if your cows are in this field, when we spray, that's fine. It's not going to hurt them. But if you turn your cows into another field, you have to be aware that wherever they use the bathroom becomes weed free. That should tell you a little something. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying. We had an actual we had an actual uh claim on a field because we have to get signatures from farmers saying that they understand how this works, you know. Especially on what we call product that have a residual effect. You know, uh Roundup is a one-time, it's two in 2,4-D and all these. These are one-time use. You use it, it kills whatever's there, and then it's gone, okay? Mm-hmm. We had chemicals, chaparral, and, and no offense to chaparral, but chaparral, and, and there was many more that we had that were more expensive, but would last for several years. They had what was called a residual effect. They would stay in the dirt and kill any upcoming weeds, which is why they were more expensive. You not only killed the weeds that were there, you killed the weeds for a couple of seasons. But if I sprayed a field with chaparral, and then the cows came in and ate, and then you moved to a cows to another field, and then you tried to plant tobacco in that field next year, well, as soon as the tobacco roots hit that chaparral, it's going to kill it. (laughs) We had a we had a a guy um, sue us because we killed his whole tobacco crop. It got up to a foot and a half. He tilted the ground, so it put all the chaparral that the cows had put on the ground in the ground at about eighteen inches. As soon as the roots from the tobacco hit that eighteen inch level, it killed it all dead. <laughs> yep. What is it they call? Uh, seed corn that has Roundup or whatever chemical in it. Oh, there's all kinds of things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That process scares the hell out of me. Yeah, and it's... What the hell? How can you... How can it be safe? Yeah, I don't don't know how that can be safe. The seed corn that we're going to plant in the ground to grow this crop of corn has got the chemical Roundup or whatever in it. So where you don't need to spray the ground. It's in well, the seed. Well, a lot of times now, that, that didn't really last. I mean, I don't know. I've been out of the business for several years at this point. But even at the end of my tenure, they had even gotten away from that kind of stuff and just went to no-till. And, and the reason for that was corn grows so fast, it can outgrow the weeds. So they didn't even... Uh, and a lot of big cornfields now, they don't even till the dirt. They just go through with a, a, a planter right on top of the dirt and plant the corn, grass, and weeds, and everything else, and the corn outgrows it. 
so, they will outgrow it, but it's no different than anything else. If there's only a limited amount of nutrients, whether it's right, water right. or fertilizer right. or whatever, and if it suddenly has to go to only corn, the corn is going to be healthier and grow more. Sure, than if but it, same resources has to. The mental aspect of that, and, and I'm talking about the bigger. No, it farms. gets rid of a ton of labor. Yeah, it gets a, the no till. The, the amount, if you have a ton of acreage, you can easily offset what you're going to lose from nutrients because you're just... I still don't think that's popular in the Midwest, is it? All right, it probably farm. isn't, but it is around in here. Iowa and Kansas and those areas, I don't think those, you know, 500-acre cornfields, I don't think they're doing the no-till. I don't think. I could be wrong. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, back to back, where... Here we go. <laughs> we uh, have covered Schlittenbauer. And we've covered Gabriel. Next up, the Gump brothers. Adolf Gump was listed as a suspect as early as April 9th, five days after. Uh, he was also rumored to be in a relationship with Victoria. At this My point, I'm wondering who was it. <laughs> she must have. Let's see. Now, I have a picture, and we'll post a picture of their family. I just want to see uh, apparently what, she was what, what makes for a movie star. Uh, yeah. You go ahead, keep talking. I'm going to find a picture yeah, of her with Adam, her head. Okay, good. <laughs> so he was considered a suspect early on. He had had a relationship with Victoria, uh, that alone. You know, most of these type crimes, especially when robbery is not emotive, when all the money and gold and jewelry was found, you, you tend to look for the personal connections, which is usually what? Husband, spouse, ex-spouse, jilted boyfriend, whatever. So he was considered an early suspect, but he could not be located and was never questioned. Now, 30 years later, in 1951, his sister, Grazenta Mayer, made a deathbed confession. She claimed that her brothers, Adolf and Anton, were the killers of the Gruber family. Hearing this, the prosecutor, Andreas Pop, placed Anton Gump into custody. But he was unable to question Adolf because he had passed away in 1944 during the Second World War. They had no other evidence to prove the brother's involvement without the sister's deathbed confession. And obviously, with it being a deathbed confession, she's passed away, too. Uh, without any other evidence, Anton was eventually released, and the case against him was dropped in 1954. In uh, one second. Well, while you're looking, okay. I can just say... So was you ever, worthy of the attention? Have you ever watched the movie Sound of Music? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, but I have. Okay, so you know the lady with the short hair? Vaguely. What is her name? She's a real big star. She's the one that sings, the main star that looks very similar to her, except without the movie star. Quality. <laughs> Quality. All right, then. The Bishler brothers, Carl and George, the Bishler brothers, there were two brothers, the Bishlers, and also George Mater were seen in the area around the time after the murder. At around 3.30 a.m., a butcher was cycling home, and he saw them acting suspiciously, uh, and they tried to hide their faces. Now, Carl was already known to the police for uh, petty thefts in the area, and some of the local residents came forward stating that they suspected him as being the murder. Now, the Gruber's former maid, uh, Miss Rieger. She also suspected Carl and his brother Anton. Anton helped with the potato harvest and steam threshing on the farm, so he knew the property quite well. 
And the former maid also stated that he complained about the Grubers often and knew that Victoria had a ton of money. Bichler was arrested on the 5th of May, but he provided an alibi for the entire weekend that was substantiated, and several witnesses confirmed that he was working in another town. So that never went anywhere. The Thaler brothers. The first theory that came to the police mind was a robbery. Uh, in an interview, again, with the Gruber's former maid, Miss Rieger, she brought up some other possible suspects. A man named Joseph Thaler had visited the farm almost a year prior to the murders. He and his brother were known in the area of Guinness of Parathies, and they had committed multiple minor burglaries in the area. On one random night, this guy, Joseph Thaler, had actually knocked on Miss Riegler's window, according to her, and after ignoring him for some time, she finally relented and asked what he wanted. He appeared to hint at wanting to rob the farm, and he asked her if she knew where the family slept and which rooms that they slept. To add to the police's suspicion, she stated that the brothers had hidden in the barn two years before and that Andreas, the grandfather, had forced them out by shooting his rifle in their vicinity. Now, while they seem like initially very strong suspects, again, a large amount of money, gold, and jewelry were left in the house. No, they're, they're out. At this point... I'm agreeing with what you told me at dinner. At this point, I'm wondering about the maid. I never <laughs> read anywhere where she was a suspect. But she's coming up with all this list of people. Well, you better look at this guy, and you better look at this guy. And, and for these guys, the Thaler brothers, she's claiming they knocked on her window and had a conversation with her and talked about robbing the house. Guess what? She had never told anyone. Right. She had never told the family, or if she had, they had never told anyone else. Why didn't she report this to the police? Right. I'm wondering if she was not involved. Now, if she was, in fact, the maid, she was, she worked there for a couple of years, she would have known that there was money and gold right. and jewelry. Why didn't she take the money, though? But if she was the one, why didn't she take the money? I right. agree. I don't know. Unless Andreas was known for his temper, maybe he treated her really bad, and we all maybe. know what a woman scorn will do. But there's no word of that. Around town, you would have thought that if oh, he would have, you know, hated this woman and treated her really bad, you would have, bad enough for her to want to kill someone, you would have thought she would have told some people. There's no word of that happening. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's really strange. Now, another one. In 1999, an elderly woman contacted the authorities. She claimed that her former landlord admitted to having information about these killings. Officials investigated this tip. They learned that the, the landlord supposedly made this claim in 1935. Oh, this woman waited 64 years to say <laughs> anything about it. Obvious, well, not obviously, but the landlord, the previous landlord had been dead for many years at this point. So there was basically nothing they could do. So if that was true, again, he, as you had mentioned earlier, took it to his grave. I just... Now, it's crazy to me. This is not a suspect, but to finish it up, in 2007, more than 80 years after the Gruber family and the maid was killed, 15 students from the, I'm not even going to try this, uh, some police academy uh, in Germany, they used modern techniques to investigate the unsolved case. The students ruled out all but one suspect that they believe committed the murders at the Hinterkaffeck farm. They did believe that the suspected killer was dead, they did not publicly name the person they believe was responsible for the massacre out of respect for the suspect's living relatives. 
Uh, but they did. The 15 students came to a unanimous conclusion of who they believed the most likely suspect was. Unfortunately, we're probably never going to find that out as well. So, 102-year-old brutal mass murder of six, five family members, one maid. Uh, still as of yet unsolved, and obviously at this point is never going to be very, very likely to have never. Now, if you go to the place where the farm is located now, there is a small memorial established, but now they did in 1923, the year after this happened, the neighbors tore down the buildings, they demolished all of it, they didn't want any reminder of it. And at that point, the memorial was put up, and that's all that that remains. Crazy. Very crazy scenario. Wish we um, could have been able to give it a little better ending, some closure. Uh, I'm sure all the family members uh, wish that they knew who did it. Most of the world wishes that you know we knew who did it so we could have punished the people responsible. As you said at this point, that's likely not going to happen. And I'm going to post some pictures of the farm and of the memorial. I'm not going to post pictures of the bodies. There are pictures, but it doesn't do. We said we put justice. a picture up when we were talking about the incest and all that. I don't know if that's the right thing to do either. If you want, you can certainly Google it, no, and the pictures yeah. are there. Uh, again, we don't know that incest ever happened. Yeah, it, they were found guilty of it. Again, in that time, there was no DNA evidence. There, you know, this is based upon it's, he neighbors. Said, she said, yeah. and if I don't like you, then uh, you know, f you. <laughs> Pretty much, it's the way it's going to go. Unfortunately, but the Hinterkaifeck farm, Jerry, thumbs up, thumbs down. Needs more coverage or less coverage? <laughs> I'm torn. If there's evidence, if there's new evidence, by all means, let's talk about it. Yeah. I, I went and read meticulously six or seven different articles on this. And what they have to say is almost exactly the same. No no new evidence has come up in, in 50 years, many, 60 many years. years. Yeah, There's been a couple of allegations. Well, so-and-so on their deathbed said they knew someone. Way. Zero new evidence has come up in a long time. So unless new evidence comes up, I, why keep talking? Why be continue beating the same dead horse? Yeah, so and- I'm saying thumbs down. And there's there's so many weird things about this case, but none of them are unexplainable. If if there's steps that start in the woods and end at your house, they're in your house. Get your family out of your house. <laughs> First of all, right? If they if they go to your barn, then get your animals or whatever you're worried about out of your barn. But see, there was also that hallway that connected the barn to the house. Right, right. If if you're hearing things in the attic, and you as a male or female as the primary person in your house, if you are scared to the point in your home that all of your family has to sleep in the same room, get out of your house. Now that that you make it sound very easy. And I don't know how bad the Great Depression affected this area of Germany. I don't. I either. do know, but that they're in the post States World America, War One, so it's probably worse than what we probably. experienced here probably. in the United States. I do know in the United States, many, many hardworking, able-bodied men who were willing to work and wanted to work couldn't. Their families were hungry because they couldn't find work. I know. So if you've got a family living on a farm that eats well, it's easy to say, "Get out." Where do you go? Yeah, my grandfather in his house was built during the Great Depression. Um, 
the, when, when we had the flood back in the early 90s, his house was flooded. And we were going through it. There were all these papers. They used newspaper as insulation. And there were papers from the 20s and 30s all up in the walls. It was bizarre. Um, So I get it. I get it. But food and food securities versus, hey, I'm going to go to town for the night, and we're going to bring back a posse and check out the property before I let my family sleep here safely. But. Let's say he, it was probably daytime when he discovered the footprints, right? Maybe, I'm sure before yeah, dark. It would almost have to be. He had searched the barn. He searched the house. He'd searched the sheds yeah. and found nothing. And but you just, you're still left with a, one set of footprints leading to the barn. Yeah. Nothing leaving. I'm like, you. that's you're, scary. You're, you're made left because she heard footsteps. And, and I read in one place, he initially, Andreas, the grandfather, didn't believe her story. Yeah. But a few months later, Heard the same steps. Right. And then that's when he saw the paper and he started taking a mental note, realized the set of keys were gone. There was a lot of little... It's Okay. Let's just be fair. Hindsight is always 2020. Sure. So maybe these... It's kind of like the whole thing when a frog's thrown into some boiling water. You know, if you throw a frog in boiling water, it knows it's cooked. If you put it in and then turn the water on, it has no clue. You know, and it could have been the same thing. One of my favorite movies of all time uh, with Pierce Bronson in it was, what was the name of that? Was it Volcano that had Tommy Lee Jones? Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak, he said a very key line that reminds me of this story. He said, and he had been, you know, it's a volcano and it's becoming active. Uh, if you haven't watched Dante's Peak, go watch Dante's Peak. Great movie. But he says if we, he was talking to a supervisor about putting the town on, you know, alert. He's like, listen, I came two weeks ago and it wasn't a big deal. But if we showed up today with everything that's going on, we would put this town on high alert. But because I've been here, you know, and, and it's, it's gradually, it's gradually going up, not a big deal. But if we came in today and saw what we saw, we would be crazy. It's the same thing. You know, it's it's things you get used to things, you know. But I'm going to have to, and I hate saying this, I agree with Jerry (laughs) and thumbs down. Unless there's new evidence, man. um, These people deserve to rest. They already have to rest without their heads. Literally, <laughs> um, these poor folks. I wish we could do them justice, but there's just you know, unfortunately, that's there's there's just no way that that can happen to, in today's world. And unfortunately, it makes for a great story. It it makes for an opportune, uh, great podcast for us. But there just is no justice for these folks, and that makes me really sad. So two thumbs, especially down for, for the, the children. Two thumbs down. And for Brett, we're gonna he's in the zoo right now, probably running from his life running for his life around away from some gorillas, but we're gonna give him a thumbs down as well. Um just because he's he's oh, you're so savage. Yeah, he's he's probably too busy running for his life to worry about it. So I'm also gonna give it a thumbs down. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. 
Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. Tonight, we're not going to Westeros. Instead, we're going to Arcadia National Park in Maine. An ancient indigenous legend hearkening back to a time where wigwams and teepees dotted the Maine landscape rather than buildings and roads. The White Walker is said to be tall, lumbering, feral beast, similar in size and appearance to Bigfoot of the Pacific Northwest. However, the White Walker is said to be covered in white fur, not brown or black as in the case of Bigfoot. Indigenous Americans had many names for what we now call White Walkers. Kawai, translated as to walk about the woods. As the legend goes, this creature was once a man, but became possessed by dark magic and turned into a horrible beast when the man committed awful crimes against, crimes against his tribespeople. What legend says, once turned into a white walker, the creature wanders the northern forest at night hunting humans, shrieking its shrill and piercing cry and preying on lonely travelers who journey through the woods alone. While some stories say that White Walker's heart is made of ice and can be purified with certain herbal medicines, curing the White Walker and returning him to a human state. There are a few accounts of this actually being done successfully. And Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light.